let's pray again. Father God, you are holy. You alone are holy. You call us to be holy, and we recognize that we need your help to do that because as sinful men like Isaiah, when we encounter your holiness, we are immediately made aware of our sinfulness. And when Isaiah saw your holiness filling the temple, uh, the robe filling the temple, he cried, Woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And Father, this morning as we look into your word and as we specifically look at how we uh, use our, our words and our tongue, uh, we recognize that we are people uh, of unclean lips. Uh, and we need you to do a work within us. We need you to do a work inside of our heart to transform us so that we serve others with our words, that we give grace uh, to those who hear, that we build up, that we edify. I pray that you would help me to do that well, and I pray that you would help us to learn that well this morning as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4. I want to read again what should be becoming a familiar passage to you as we've worked our way through these verses from verse 25 down to verse 32. And as we read it again this morning, recognize as we walk through here that we'll be coming back specifically to verses 29 and 30. Uh, that's our, our focus this morning. But I want to read this whole passage again. Uh, just, if nothing else, out of repetition that we really let this sink into our hearts and our minds. So follow along as I read Ephesians 4, starting at verse 25. Paul tells the Ephesian believers, and by extension he tells us as well, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. It has been a, a joy as we've worked our way through this book of Ephesians to learn alongside of you. And I don't know how you have been, but I have been both encouraged and convicted over and over, particularly as we've moved through these more practical applications of the gospel here in these verses. And so this morning, Paul is going to return to this topic of the tongue. I don't know about you, but the older I get the more I realize how extremely difficult it is to tame the tongue. Are you there with me? Or am I the only one that struggles with this? Sometimes it seems like it's downright impossible to get this thing under control sometimes. And I don't think it's any mistake that the Bible has literally hundreds of verses related to our tongue. 
There's probably a good reason for that. Uh, it is such an integral part of who we are as humans. And so over and over, uh, the scriptures tell us how to use our tongue, how to use our speech, how to use our language to build up and not to tear down. The tongue is a doorway to the heart. It reveals the heart. Uh, Jesus said so in Matthew chapter 12 and verse 34. He says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Whatever's in the heart eventually makes its way out through the mouth. If you've ever been around a vulgar drunk, uh, you will know that a, a vulgar drunk, when he starts drinking, uh, he will become uh, visceral and he will become uh, angry and use foul and, and terrible language. And sometimes you'll hear people remark on that and say, well, just ignore him. That's the alcohol speaking. Well, that's not really the alcohol speaking. It's that the alcohol has removed the barriers that existed between the heart and the tongue. And so because those barriers are now gone, everything that's in the heart comes out through the mouth. Those things were all in there before. The drunk had all those in there before. It was just that when he was sober, it was inhibited from coming out because his brain was controlling it. But when the brain was out of control, now all that stuff comes spilling out. So, it was already there. The tongue is nothing more than a gateway to the heart. James probably best describes the difficulties that we have with our tongue when he wrote chapter 3 of his epistle. Uh, let me just read a number of verses from there, starting in verse 5. He says, The tongue is a small member, yet it boasts of great things. How great a force is set ablaze by such a small fire. And the tongue is a fire, a world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our members, staining the whole body, setting on fire the entire course of life, and set on fire by hell. Wow, it's pretty strong. For every kind of beast and bird of reptile and sea creature, those can all be tamed and have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison, with it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it, we curse people who are made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come blessing and cursing. My brothers, these things ought not to be so. Can a spring pour forth from the same opening both fresh and salt water? Can a fig tree, my brothers, bear olives, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a salt pond yield fresh water. It's quite a dilemma, don't you think? We have this thing, his tongue, this is restless evil, it's set on fire by hell, and with it we bless, and at the same time we, we curse, and we need help, don't we? We need help. Thankfully, there's an answer. Uh, thankfully, there is a solution, and, and it's identified in the Scripture. Uh, God gives us the prescription to, to fix it, and the prescription happens to be a person. The prescription happens to be Jesus. He is the one that helps us fix our tongue. 
Now, if you've been here over the last uh, number of weeks, you have heard me say ad nauseum by now that the things that we are looking at in verses 25 to 32 are not the things that will save you. All right, so as we look at at these verses, these are not a checklist of items that somehow if you get all of these right, you have somehow earned your salvation or earned points on some divine test of God. If that is the case, if you think that that's the case, you might as well give up now because the test of holiness is a pass-fail. And if you mess up even a smidge, you get fail. We're not graded on a curve uh, on this test right? And so we need help. We need someone who could have passed the test with perfect 100% righteousness. Only Jesus could do that. He was the only human who could walk on earth and perfectly control his tongue. And so in our place, he took all of our corrupting, filthy, gross, nasty speech to the cross, and there he nailed it, and the penalty was paid. When you and I, by faith, believe in that, when we trust in Jesus Christ, when we trust in his work, then it's Jesus who secures our salvation, not ourselves. That being said, once we, by faith, repent of our sin, and believe in Jesus Christ, now Jesus comes along and says, let me show you how to live that out. Let me help you. I will occupy your heart. Let me enable you to live out my example, even with your tongue, okay? So that's what we see here in chapters 4, 5, and 6. Jesus is going to help us do these now that we've accepted his work as our satisfaction, he's going to help us know how to live in his family. We need to understand how to speak. If we're going to have unity among the body of Christ, and if we wish to represent Christ well in our world, both of those things are on the apostles' minds as he writes these words. Okay, so let's look again at what he says at verse 29. He says, let no corrupting, or your Bible might say unwholesome, let no unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Now, recall again the pattern that that Paul uses. He's used this all throughout this passage. He set this pattern out in verses 22 to 24. It's this pattern of putting off the old way, being renewed in the spirit of your minds and putting on a new way of living, okay? So he starts off in this verse by giving us the put off, what to stop doing. He says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. That word corrupting there or unwholesome means rotten, worthless, bad decayed, unusable, rancid. I don't know when your trash pickup goes at your house, but ours goes on Monday morning through our neighborhood. And by Sunday afternoon, sometimes our our trash can sits inside the garage so the raccoons can't get to it. Sometimes that trash can 
is, smells so rancid that when we get home from church on Sunday, we almost don't have an appetite for lunch. It's just you want to run in the house or leave the garage door open and get the smell out, okay? That's what this word means, this idea of corrupting. Uh, some talk is so rotten, it's so decayed, it's so rancid that it just makes your stomach sick. It just kind of turns, it's disgusting, it's useless. It's words that create a foul smell in the air when, when you hear them. Back when I worked at uh, the CPA firm, one of our owners, uh, one of the uh, founders of the company, Mr. Shemansky, uh, God, God rest his soul, he's not living anymore, this man cussed like a sailor. He, he was known for his foul language. And it's kind of sad because of all of the good things that he did uh, for our company, uh, for our the community we lived in, for me personally, the thing that I remember most about him was his foul mouth. One of the tricks that was always played on the, the newbies uh, at the CPA firm on their first day of employment, uh, they, they were set up to experience Mr. Shemansky's mouth. And the way that they were set up, every new person that would come in, eventually, sometime in the, during the day, would ask something like, where are the office supplies? Where, where do you keep the pencils and, and, the, and the paper, that sort of thing? And, and they were always told, oh, Mr. Shemansky keeps those in his office. All you have to do is just go knock on his door and, and ask him for one, and, and he'll give you one. So the newbie would, with all the confidence in the world, would march up to Mr. Shemansky's office and knock on his door and say, Mr. Shemansky, may I have a pen and paper, please? And he would unleash this tirade of cuss words. How dare you waste my time on pencil and paper and bleepity bleep bleep bleep. And the newbie would take off running back to their to office, embarrassed, of course, that they experienced all of this. And, of course, everybody else would laugh. Ha, ha, ha. You got to experience... Mr. Shemansky's mouth. Everybody knew what would set him off. Now, in some ways, we would laugh about that, but let me tell you something. You never wanted to be on the receiving end of those words when Mr. Shemansky was really mad. Rancid. Foul. That's what Paul is describing here. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths. John Piper gives four categories of corrupting talk uh, that I think encompass most of what Paul had in mind here. Uh, let's walk through those. Uh, number one category, corrupting talk would be taking the name of the Lord in vain. If you remember, Paul here is taking the Ten Commandments in many ways and reiterating them to these Ephesian believers. And one of the Ten Commandments, Exodus 20 and verse 7 says, You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. That's one of the Ten Commandments. I remember when I was in sixth grade, uh, my sixth grade teacher said, If you say the name of Jesus in my classroom, you better be on your knees. Right? People take what is holy, what is noble, 
what is transcendent, what is good, what is worthy, and they reduce it to a curse word. Jesus Christ. Oh my God. Those kinds of words take a name that represents all that is right and good and holy and it uses it like gutter trash. We never do that. No one ever does that with the name of Satan. Did you ever notice that? No one ever cusses Satan, Beelzebub, the devil. Never happens, right? Do you know why? Because Satan takes that which is good and he twists it and he trashes it. Satan's nature is to kill, steal, and destroy, and that means even destroying the name of God. God's name reveals his character. Do you know what the name Yahweh means? God, do you know what it means? Exodus 34 and verse 6. God tells us what his name means. The Lord, the Lord, that's the word Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. When we use God's name in vain, it is the exact opposite of what God says his name means. When we use God's name in vain, we are not using it mercifully and graciously. We're not being slow to anger, and we are certainly not abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. It's an abominable use of the name by which God describes himself, and Paul says it is out for the Christian. Another category of corrupting talk is when we trivialize terrible realities. When we say things like, what the hell? Go to hell. God damn. Friends, if you have any idea of the absolute terrible reality of being sent to hell, you would never utter those words to anyone. And yet, there are some people, even professing Christians, who will drop those words so quickly when things don't go their way. Don't do that. That's rancid. It stinks. Thirdly, Satan likes to take good things that God created for our pleasure and he likes to twist them into vulgar speech. In particular, Satan likes to do that with words referencing sex and the body in vulgar ways and I wouldn't even dare utter some of the four-letter words that are used to describe these things even for an example's sake. Words that are used for sex 
an act that's supposed to be pleasurable and experienced within the bounds of biblical marriage are twisted into four-letter words that rip the biblical meaning to shreds. In fact, when you hear someone dropping the F-bomb, they are putting into verbal form what rape is in physical form. They are violating all that is intended for good and they are using it in such a way that it's being used for their own evil and selfish pleasure. Friend, if that word is commonplace in what you say or see or watch or listen to, you need to change quickly. It's disgusting. It's putrid. There's a final category of of corrupting talk, and it comes in the form of speaking in mean-spirited ways. When we say things like, shut up. Go away from me. I never want to see you again. I hate you. You can add all kinds of things uh, to their list. I don't know about you, but I remember when people used to get their mouths washed out for stuff like that. I don't know that it affected the heart, but it definitely made them stop and think. Right? You could add to that category things like gossip, slander, things that tear other people down behind their backs. Uh, One pastor said this recently. He said, remember when someone says people have been talking, what they mean is I have been talking to people. I think I would add another one here. Paul's words not only have to do with the words that we literally speak, but they also have to do with the words that we type. Friends, we live in a social media age, and I'll be honest with you, I am sometimes appalled at what Christians type on social media. Things they would never say to another person face to face and they type them with little or no regard. I'd like to do an experiment sometime. I would like to take some of those things that I see on quote-unquote social media pages of Christians and put them up here on the big screen some Sunday morning. And let's just all read them. And let's just all contemplate uh, what those mean. And and I just wonder if that would catch our attention. Friend, when this command says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, this is wide and this is very deep. I think we need to slow down and think deeply on these things. We struggle with these, don't we? We all struggle with them. So what's what's God's solution? Verse 29 says, but only such as is good for building up 
as fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Far from tearing down, far from being stinky and nasty, our speech is supposed to build up. It's supposed to edify. It's supposed to give grace. Our hearts, which are supposed to be reflective of our new hearts in Christ, should be a blessing to other people. Let me just ask you the question, how did God speak to you? When God spoke to you, he showed you grace, kindness. He lifted you up out of the miry clay, did he not? Just this week in, in my devotions, I'm reading through uh, the Gospels again, and I came across these kind words of Christ in Matthew chapter 11. He says, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and I will find, I, I will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. When I read those verses, that is such a refreshment to me. The kindness of Jesus to say, come. Come, I'll give you rest. That's the kind of person I want to be. Have you ever been around that kind of a person? The kind of person that when they speak, there's just blessing and there's kindness and there's grace in that person. That kind of person that so edifies you that when you leave the conversation, you just sort of feel like you're walking on air a little bit because they, they've, been, they've so lifted you up to the heavenlies. I had a conversation like this about a month ago. Um, I'll be honest. I wasn't looking forward to the conversation uh, that I was going to have uh, over this Zoom meeting. It was a former professor of mine, and he was reaching out to me uh, to help me uh, with the counseling course that I'm going to be teaching this, this fall. He asked if he could call me and talk with me about it, and I, I didn't know quite what to expect. I wasn't sure how it would go. I had him in class, and uh, when I got off the phone call with him, I had to repent to God for my attitude. He was so kind, and he was so helpful to me. He was not at all judgmental. He just wanted to come alongside me and encourage me and help me in any way he could. He was a shining example of Ephesians 4.29, and I left that conversation thinking, I want to be like that kind of a person. I would take a hundred phone calls like that. I want you to be that kind of person. That when people leave you, they say, wow, what a gracious, delightful, humble, encouraging person. Notice how Paul frames this. I, I like how he does this. If you think about last week, Paul talked about stealing and not stealing instead we're supposed to share and one of the questions or one of the statements that i made last week is when do you know that a thief is no longer a thief it's not when he quits stealing but when it's it's actually when he begins sharing with other people in need 
how do you know uh, when a person's speech has been affected by Christ? It's not just when their words are pure and true, but it's actually when their words are used to impart grace to others. You see, it's one thing to say, my speech is pure and it's true. It's another thing to say, I use my speech to serve other people, to build others up, to encourage other people. That takes Jesus doing a heart change within me, right? Because culturally and contextually, there's enough pressure on me that I can keep certain words inside me if if the pressure is just right. I have enough common sense not to let certain words out of my mouth in certain contexts. But only Jesus can change my heart such that not only do I refrain from corrupting talk, but actually what comes out of my mouth is that which builds up. The issue is, do I use my words to love other people? That's really the issue. Do I love well with my mouth. And so Paul moves away from the external, not just what we say, but he moves to the internal, why we say it. What is my purpose in speaking this? So, here's how you help with your heart. You so stare at the love of Christ and you fill yourself with the magnificent grace and kindness of Christ that that transforms you so that when you speak, that's what comes back out. Junk in, junk out, right? Good things in, good things out. So you put good things of Christ within you. It's interesting to me that even the Jews, even, the, even some of the Pharisees who hated Jesus, recognized the grace with which he spoke. In Luke 4 and 22, it says, all spoke well of him. These are people that hate Jesus, but they had to speak well of of him and they marveled at the gracious words that were coming out of his mouth. They said, is this Joseph's son? Even they recognized his words are gracious. They characterize his life. They should characterize ours as well. We should never have to go to someone and say, now I want you to take this with a grain of salt. Ah, Colossians 3, uh, 4 verse 6 says, let your speech be gracious, seasoned with salt. What does salt do? Salt preserves, salt t- makes it taste good. Salt brings the taste alive. When you and I speak, it shouldn't be with a grain of salt. It should be with a whole load of salt. Tastes good in the ears of those who hear. God told us, put on the salt of my grace in everything that you say. There's another important and second reason that Paul gives for aligning our speech with Christ's example, and it comes in verse 30. Verse 30 is connected to verse 29. Verse 30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I'm not exactly sure what all that means, but I do know this. The Holy Spirit is a person. And according to this verse, you can actually make the person of God grieve 
You make him sad. And, and you do that by the way that you speak, if you speak with corrupting talk. We know that those two verses go together because they're at the beginning of verse 30 is that little word and. That, that word is in the Greek. It connects verse 29 and 30. Uh, and so think about this for a moment. Your conversation, your words can either delight or sadden the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, the Holy Spirit lives with you 24-7. He's always within you. He's always listening to you. He's always reading the intent of your heart. And so Paul here is reminding us every action we do, every word we speak, every choice we make, every attitude we adopt has a spiritual reality around it. These are eternal things. And Paul connects our speech to the eternal realities of the Holy Spirit. Notice this. He says, you were sealed by the Holy Spirit for the day of redemption. In other words, the Holy Spirit within you is your guarantee of what's yet to come. We studied this way back in Ephesians 1. It says this, In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. The Holy Spirit is the mark. He is the seal. He is the guarantee of your inheritance waiting for you in heaven. And so Paul says, don't grieve that Holy Spirit who's within you. He says, instead, you should be eternally grateful for the work that he's done. And so the words that come out of your mouth should be reflective of his grace and his kindness toward you. It's meant to be a motivation. Don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Make him happy. Make him proud of you for the way that you use your tongue. Some of you may have work to do in this area of your life. I know God is still working in my own heart in this area. Don't be discouraged if you feel convicted this morning, that's a good sign. That means the Holy Spirit is at work within you. That means he's still active in you. That's evidence of the fact that he lives inside of you. I would be more worried about the person whose life is characterized by corrupting talk and they don't really care. They don't feel any shame. <coughs> no remorse, no guilt. That would be more worrisome. So if you recognize it in your own heart, then one thank God for revealing it to you. Thank God for opening your eyes to the realities of your own heart. And then repent of your sin. Tell him where you recognize where you've gone wrong. And then thank God that he nailed that sin to the cross with Jesus. And then ask God to transform you from the inside out so that you begin using your tongue in ways that edify others, lift others up, that instead of tearing people down with your words, you would use your words to serve others, and you would begin finding ways to show others the same grace that you've been shown. 
I hope that that's true of you. I hope that when people walk away from you, they walk away having experienced a little bit of Jesus in your talk toward them. Wouldn't that be neat? May it be so by the power of Christ within you. Let's stand and pray together. God, I had no idea when I was preaching through Ephesians 4 how impactful and convicting this would be in my own life and likely on the lives of many in this room. That you could pack so much truth in such short and direct commands and and that we would find ourselves simultaneously feeling helpless and, and then immediately our eyes are diverted to our help the person of Jesus. God, it's exactly where I want to find myself. Convicted and then pointed to Jesus. Convicted and then pointed to Jesus. So that I would change because I'd have a renewed mind, I'd have a renewed heart that I wouldn't change just because I wanted people to think better about me, just because I wanted others to think well of me because I want you to think well of me. That I want you to be pleased I don't want to grieve you and I don't think anybody in this room has the intention of grieving you. So we need your help. Thank you for sending Jesus to be our example. Thank you for sending Jesus to die and to raise again for our own sinfulness. Thank you for giving us Jesus to live within us so that we can walk with the mind of Christ. I pray that we would be some of the most gracious, kind, edifying, uplifting people with our mouths, not just with a veneer of holiness and not just with some superficiality, that, but, but with a transformed heart. We would speak with honesty, with a genuine hope that we could serve others with our mouths. Thank you for this passage. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.